Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at a story that I think many of you are familiar with. It's a story about Gideon. But there's something in there. Sometimes we always think about Gideon, the guy who put his hand on the fleece and it says, Lord, if it's your will, you know, let this fleece be dry. And then next, next time, let this fleece be wet. And so one of the things that we forget is his life and how he kind of got led up to that point as he was fighting the Midianites. So I want to talk a little bit about this because I think it's important as we talk about the third point or the third theme for this coming week, which is waging war. And I'm going to talk about idols and strongholds and different areas of our lives that we need to wage war with, with truth, with power, with uh, trust and understanding our identity. And I think this is going to be a very important topic for us because it's going to lead us now into several weeks later, we're going to talk about generational sins, the sins of some of your parents and your grandparents. And now it's being transferred over to you, the way you live your life, the things that you struggle with. And so that's why I want to make sure that as we talk about this in the story that many of you might be familiar with, those of you who have a church background about Gideon, that there's some elements sometimes we forget as we talk about different strongholds in our lives. I wanted to kind of start off and just kind of ask this question. I'm wondering, did any of you have ever seen something or you were so convicted about something that literally you were just kind of there almost in awe and you just couldn't move? You you realized you were under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that in your life. There have been few moments in my life and it's been very impactful and this is sometimes how God speaks. He speaks in so many different ways, but sometimes he uses different things to get our attention and to speak to us. Back in uh, 2012, Christina and I, on one of our uh, date days, we decided to watch this documentary. This documentary was called Nefarious. It was given to us as a gift by somebody, and they said, I think you will really enjoy this to watch this. And so, you know, we wanted to save some money, so we said, let's just chill at home and then uh, just watch this documentary. And as we were watching this documentary, the topic was, I mean, those of you who might not know what nefarious is, something very evil. And so when we kind of had some idea it was about human trafficking, but when we watched this documentary, it literally ripped my heart out. I don't know how else to explain it. If you want to watch something over the break or if you have some time, it might be worth, I don't know if you can get a hold of it, uh, talk to some of the Indonesians if you want to get it somehow illegally. But anyway, uh, um, ooh, ooh. yeah, that's right, that's right. So now uh, Indo, Exec, whatever, it is no longer in existence, all right? So um, one of the things that uh, we were sitting there and we were really convicted about was it was about sex trafficking just all throughout Asia and how this nefarious or evil that's going on it is right here in this side of the world and the sad part is a lot of the victims are underage and when we're watching this there were some that were as young as five years old of sexual abuse and so I remember just kind of watching this my heart being gripped 
and as I was watching this, you know, when everything's done, the credit starts rolling up. Literally, my wife was sitting over here, and I was sitting over here, and we were just like silent. Like we didn't say anything. We didn't say anything to each other. We were just kind of watching the TV, and we were just in silence. It was like a holy moment. It was like an awe that kind of struck over us and realized how clueless we were to this situation. We've heard about it. We kind of know a little bit about it, but to actually see a documentary with people who are underground giving their testimonies, it really spoke to me. It was right after that uh, experience, um, finally, after like 20, 30 seconds, I, I turned over to Christina. I said, we've got to do something. That was the first thing that I could think of. I, I said, we've got to do something. And so we ended up praying together, praying for the work that many of these Christian organizations are trying to do uh, in Cambodia and Vietnam and some of these other areas and Thailand. And then afterwards, after we prayed, we just like, okay, what is it that God is calling us to do? So we were asking the Lord for some wisdom. And one of the things that came out was uh, as soon as this whole situation, I said, we're going to have our whole church watch this documentary. That was the first thing that I could think of. We're going to have the whole church. We're going to do it like a Friday night, kind of like an encounter meeting. We're going to show this video, and we're going to afterwards pray and intercede for this evil that is going on. Afterwards, uh, as I thought through some steps, I said, another thing I'm going to try to do, and we were talking about, well, how do we are we going to navigate through this as a vehicle to reach out to? So we just started a missions arm of our church, and we just called it Liberty Mission. And it's about setting prisoners free and those who are enslaved. And so we just called it Liberty Mission. And I told these guys, I remember, I'm like, get this website, man. You know, I was telling some of our executives, get this website. Because we're going to get this and we're going to use this as a platform to hopefully somehow participate in the greater work of bringing down and knocking down this uh, stronghold, this altar of injustice. Another thing that came up afterwards, I was so moved that I said, you know what, I can't just stand here and just show the movie. So what I did was I started reaching out to some people that I knew who knew some other people. You know how it works. It's like you know someone who knows somebody who knows somebody else. And what happened was that we were able to get in contact with somebody who's actually working with the person who was in that documentary. So we set up something where we we're going to go visit Cambodia. And the person that someone, someone who someone else introduced me to was somebody here in Hong Kong. And who knew back in uh, 2012 or around that time that God was going to bring us to Hong Kong? We had no clue. This was right after we came out of Indonesia. We started our first international church. And so uh, this lady who uh, works with a lot of the pop stars here and some of the different people who are in the music industry, she really felt, she's a strong believer, and she felt really convicted by God to expose this evil here in Asia because the people who do go visit are not just Americans, but there's a lot of that stuff going on amongst Asian men who are on this side of the world with sexual perversion and things like that. And so we set up a meeting when I came to visit Hong Kong one time, and we decided to plan out this trip. And she wanted to make a documentary similar to Nefarious, but more of an Asian twist with all the different intricacies that were going on with the Asian culture here, with shame and a lot of the hiding and all this other stuff that was going on. And so we went there, 
And, uh, and I decided I, I'm not going to go by myself. I'm going to bring a small group of people because I want to spread the message. I want people to get awakened to this and to be empowered and to somehow move this thing forward so that it's not going to just be me, but it will be some of the members in our church. So this was a picture back in, I don't know if you can see it, it's not very clear, in 2012, uh, this was in March, and, or 2013, excuse me, in March, and so uh, uh, I, I took one guy, and then uh, the other two, they had such a heart for this issue. Uh, some of the different things that they've struggled with, things that they've gone through, so they have a burden for this. So we just, four of us got on a plane, and we just went to Cambodia, and we just experienced some incredible things. And I don't have the time to share with you all the different things we were able to eyewitness, but we actually went to some of these places, and I was the guy who was supposed to wear the glasses with the camera in there, and uh, I, I, I just can't even explain how crazy that was. I remember calling up Christina and saying, I'm going to go into this place, so I just need a lot of prayer coverage, and then I'm the guy with the camera that they're going to use for the documentary, and I don't know what that's going to look like. And so they tested it out, and they were saying, you're moving too fast. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm like, all right, Uh, I'm making sure that I get everyone. And uh, it was one of those experiences where we were on the ground. One of them, the guy, he actually was in a sting an operational sting for one of the ministries, International Justice Ministries, IJM. And so uh, he participated in that. Some of the, these two sisters literally went to one of those karaoke bars and they were talking to some of the women who were in that business or who were trafficked in that. So it literally changed the trajectory of what I thought were things that were important. And I realized that there is something that is on the heart of God that is so vital that we as a church, as best as we can, we can't put all our marbles there because there's so many other things that we can address and things that we're called to do. But we said we are going to spend some time, some energy, some resources, money, so that we can actually try to address this issue of human trafficking, whether it's through sex trafficking or child labor trafficking, whatever it may be, all these injustices that we began to see. And then what I do afterwards is, uh, that was March of 2013, and then in December 2019, or 2013, going into 2014, I decided to bring greater awareness to all our HMCC churches. And one of the best ways to minister in some of these countries is through music. And so I took a few members from each of the band from all our HMCC churches, the better ones, and then because uh, we had to present, we had to perform and things like that, and so we invited some of these guys to come and join us and just to get a glimpse of some of the stuff that's happening in this area. So the next picture you'll see are some of the guys from the Austin Church, the Ann Arbor Church, uh, Jakarta Church, and so they joined us, even in, uh, we had a church in Chicago back then, and so they joined us to be able to unite together in prayer and as a church to be able to address some of these issues and some of these things that are happening. Now, why am I sharing all this? Because I want to share with you this guy named Tim Ballard that I didn't know about until I began to start working or at least getting more informed about this issue. And he made a trailer, or I guess a documentary, and they made it into a trailer and the documentary is called Operation Tucson. And it's about trying to rescue some of these kids who are in human trafficking, who have been human trafficked. And it's an incredible story. 
Because what I want you to hear, and I don't know if you're going to be able to understand everything in there because it's just a trailer, but I want you to understand that something gripped him. And he gave up his life, which was very comfortable. In fact, it was very something that was pretty significant. He gave all that up so that he could participate as he started this group called the Operation Underground Railroad. Those of you who are familiar with that in America, that was the Underground Railroad was where the slaves from the south were free through. There was a, a, a way, a pathway to go up north to find freedom. So he used that concept, and, he, and this is the Operation Underground Railroad. So I, what I'm going to show you is a clip of the trailer of this documentary. So instead of me just sharing my own experience, I want you to watch and see and hear someone else's experience of all that's going on, the evils, and some of the strongholds that we see in this world. So let's watch this together. I know what some of us will be doing tonight, checking out that video. I'm not getting paid for it, so don't worry. But one thing that I do want to remind us of is that there are a lot of evil. There are a lot of evil people in this world. And somehow we forget that because we're in this little Christian bubble. When until you graduate from college and you start working, you realize there's a lot more than you thought there were. Some of you are in the workplace and now you're dealing with a lot of things that is way over your head. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you even in this room right now are participating in some of these things that are not very honoring to God. Why am I bringing this up? Because I hope you caught some of the similarities of stories after stories that you're going to hear just throughout your lifetime of people who wage war with things that are evil, strongholds that are in the society, strongholds that are in their family, and they're going to have to pay a price for it. What I'm going to challenge you this morning is to lay down your life to break some of the strongholds in your life that has put you in bondage, has put your family in bondage, have put people that you know in bondage, to be able to take that step of faith and dependence upon God to do something incredible until the day you die. That is my hope this morning for every single one of you. As you watch and you have heard, there's this awakening or an experience or an awareness that comes. From there, there's this incredible calling or a conviction or whatever you want to call it. That there's an urgency that you, we got to do something. We cannot now seeing this just idly step back and say, you know what, let someone else take care of it. You, you realize that there's something that we got to do. And as you've heard that there's a sacrifice, things to give up in order to fulfill the mission. So can I ask you something this morning? What is it that God is calling you to do that will be engaging in this war, the spiritual warfare that we've been talking about, that will require your life? 
that will require your focus, that will require your resources, that will require your energy, that will require your time. Because you realize that you cannot keep on doing the things that you're doing in light of everything that you know and the things that God is showing you because you need to take the step of faith. What is the injustice or the issue that God wants you to shed light on? What strongholds or issues in your life is God calling you to tear down? And so we've been covering this whole idea of warfare matters. We, get, we gave you an overview of what we're going to be covering in these eight some weeks. And then we talked about the importance of winning the battle and how Satan uses deceit to distort our identity in Christ and why that's so important for you to be able to win this battle every single day. Today, I want to talk about waging war because it is a full-out war that Christ has won by dying on the cross. But these battles that we have to face on a regular basis, we have to be engaged in it. And as we wage this war against Satan, I'm going to tell you right now, you are going to face some opposition. Talk to anyone who is trying to wage the war against drugs or any of this criminal activity. Their lives are on the line because it's about money. It's about people's selfish desires. And so as soon as you begin to shine the light, there will be opposition. And so this morning, I want to talk about this one thing. The one thing is simply this, is that as God's purposes starts to unfold, he's going to show us his heart. He will start tearing down our stronghold. So as his purposes, his heart, what he desires, what is his will, as that begins to unfold before us, then he will start tearing down the stronghold as we learn to trust in him and depend on him. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. So let me just quickly go into the story about Gideon and highlight that one thing. I'm going to point to you in this passage, starting from chapter 6, verse 11, all the way to verse 32. I'm going to highlight two things for us, two things that we have to remember as God's purposes start to unfold down our stronghold. The first thing is this, that our identity, this is what we got to remember, that our identity shapes our outlook. That our, our identity, the way we see ourselves, the way we know who we are, will begin to shape your outlook, the way you look at things. In order to fully understand the story, we need to understand the context of this passage. So let me give you a little bit of a background so that you'll have more sense. When you look earlier in chapter 6, verses 1 through 10, you will see that due to the Israelites' disobedience, they suffered seven years of hardship. There was famine, there were struggles, and especially with the Midianites. And this is important for you to understand. What would happen is every harvest time, when it's to gather the food, the Midianites will come in and they will plunder the Israelites' food. So that's why there was famine and people were impoverished because why? Through their disobedience, worshiping other gods, God was even using evil in that way to bring us back to his heart. Now, it was in this situation when they turned to the Lord, and I want you to look at chapter 6, verse 6. It's right up there. It says this, And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. See, this is the story of our lives. 
we live disobediently, we do whatever we want to do, and then we realize we face something difficult. For them, it was that starvation. You'll see this all throughout the book of Judges. You'll see this all throughout the Israelites going through the 40 days of wilderness. You'll see this throughout history, that there are times when we forget about God, we disobey God, and do the things that we want to do. But then God sends something, or even though he might not have caused evil, he allows people's free will to do evil, to even use that for something that's greater. And so here are the Midianites who are now plundering and just taking the food away from the Israelite people and they're starving. And then what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. And then this unnamed prophet, we don't know who this prophet is, came and reminded the Israelites of their deliverance from Egypt. And I think this is important because oftentimes when you are struggling, you forget all of God's faithfulness. You forget all that God has done. So this prophet comes, we don't know his name, but he comes and he tells Gideon and the Israelite people, he says, remember how God delivered you from Egypt. And then he makes it very clear, the reason why you're going through what you're going through is because of your disobedience to God. You'll see this in chapter 6, verse 10b, right before chapter, uh, verse 11, as we're going to read. It says this, but you have not obeyed my voice. So clearly, in their disobedience to God, in worshiping other gods except for the God who is only worthy of worship, who is the only one worthy of worship. They were worshiping all these other gods. And in the midst of all this evil, God uses that to draw the attention of the Israelites to say, God, we need you. We cry out to you. And then this prophet makes it very clear it's because of your disobedience. I'm just wondering right now if God is doing something in your life to get your attention. Once again, he is not the cause of evil. There's consequences to sin. There's dumb decisions we make. Other people sin against us. But sometimes those things can be used to get our attention. So instead of complaining to God, maybe you should ask, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. So in the midst of that, this is where we see the call of Gideon starting in verse 11. So I'm going to go ahead and read verse 11 through 18. And you could just kind of follow along. And I, I'm going to try to read it fairly slowly so that you can understand what's going on. You got to take this in. This is a story of what's happening. You got to understand the story. And I'm going to try to highlight some key things about the story to talk about how our identity shapes our outlook. So in verse 11, chapter 6, it says this. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terabith at Oprah, which along with Joash, the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all the wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? And now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hands of the Midians. 
And the Lord turned to him and said, go, to, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not, do not, I send you. Verse 15. And he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you will strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that is you who speaks with me. Please do not depart from me or d- depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and send it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Let's pause here and just kind of tease this out a little bit. As Gideon was trying to avoid the Midianites stealing his food, what, what do we see in verse 11? He's hiding in a wine press. And he's trying to thrash the the wheat. You're supposed to do that outside in the threshing floor. But he's hiding in this wine press, whether he's scared or whether he's trying to protect the food. Whatever the case, we see that this was the situation in which God then appears to him. In verse 12, as we have read, it says, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. This is a very important point that you need to note here. Not only the promise that God was going to be with him, but we see this call to his destiny. That phrase, the mighty man of valor, is translated in different translation as a valiant warrior. In the New Living Translation, is a mighty hero. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's what he felt. That's the same way when God tells us that you are beloved. There are many times when you don't feel like that. When he says, you are my child, you don't feel like that. That you are forgiven, you don't feel like that. Or even when God says, I'm going to do something in you and through you for my glory, you just don't feel like that because as you think about your life, you think about the sin, you think about all the struggles, you think about your weaknesses, you think about all the shortcomings in your life, you think about your failures, and those are the things that consume you and you forget who you are and whose you are. Time and time again. So here is God through the angel speaks to him because he hasn't done anything that's warrior-like. He hasn't done anything that's full of valor. He hasn't done anything that makes him a hero. But here is the angel of the Lord speaking forth to him that Gideon, almighty um, man of valor or a valiant warrior and a mighty hero. This is the reason why it is so important that you understand that your identity in Christ, who you are and whose you are, will shape your outlook, the way you live your life. When you looked at verse 13 through 18, there's this dialogue between Gideon and this angel. Gideon is doubting God's power and his goodness. And he asks a question in these verses, 13 through 18. Listen to what it says. I thought it was so interesting in verse 13. But he says, but sir, Gideon replied. I'm going to read it from the NIV. If the Lord is with us, come on, read this yellow section with me. What does it say? Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? 
But now the Lord has what? Abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. It's phenomenal that so many of us, our outlook is always circumstantial. We forget who we are in Christ, what Christ has done for us. And so that's why it shapes how we look at things. God, if you're really with me, then why have you abandoned us? Why has all these happened to us? These are the type of questions that some of us are asking as well. God, I'm trying to love you. I'm I'm trying to commit to the church. I'm trying to commit to your work. I'm trying to serve you. I'm trying to faithfully spend my time in reading the word and in prayer. But why are all these happening? These things are happening to me. And when I need you the most, I feel like you're abandoning me. See, this is the key. If you forget who you are, then these are the kind of conclusions you're going to make. It just shows that you are not secure in your identity in Christ. God has already spoken. He told us who we are. He already told us in his word what he's going to do. This is the reason why we can have trust and confidence that everything that God has said, he is going to fulfill. Even in verse 15, as Gideon was trying to process this, he's making excuses. Remember in verse 15, it says, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. This is a person who's playing the victim that they don't want to take responsibility. How can I live for Christ, Lord? How can I, how can I live for you when I don't have this or that? How can I serve you, Lord, if I don't have this or if I'm struggling with this? It reminds us of Moses that we see in the book of Exodus. And I think this is the beauty of the gospel. He's never looking for people who have it all together. Can I get a good amen to that? Do you know why? Because if you have everything together, you will receive the credit and the glory. But if you're the least likely, everyone's like, oh my, oh my, oh, you know those people? And then God uses them. What do you think? Oh my God, you're the nicest person. You're incredible. No, they're like, oh my, there must be a God. There must be a God to be able to use someone like you. So God is glorified. So there's something about God liking, he likes using weak, feeble, sinful people to do something that is glorious and that it's honoring him because it's all about him and nothing about you. But you know what Satan wants to do? As he wages his war against you, he wants you to focus on yourself. That's why you look at your weaknesses. That's why you look at your struggles. That's why you look at your sin. That's why you look at your failures. And you're like, you know what? I can't do it. That's exactly what he wants you to do because what you have forgotten is your identity. And so we lose perspective. We lose this outlook to realize that it's not about me, but it's about God, everything that is doing. And I'm a child of God. And because I know this, that even the things that I do see and I'm experiencing, God will never allow his children to just be left there. Because there's so many scripture verses that talk about that nothing will separate us from the love of God. Can I get a good amen to that? Nothing. So you either believe in your circumstance or you got to believe in God and his word. And what does God say in verse 16? He says, I will be with you. 
He speaks forth through the angel. I will be with you. Isn't that enough for us? God being with us. This past uh, May, our family went on this mini vacation, and I don't know how it happened, but I became the official guide with something called Google Maps. I, I, I don't know how I got this. I, I was going to get one of our kids to it. I'm, I'm old now. I'm like, you guys do it. You guys are old enough. But somehow I got assigned and tasked to be the guide to find all the places we're going to eat, all the places we're going to visit. And I realized that because I'm this guide, they, they weren't even paying attention. They're just talking. But I was like, I was sweating. I was just like, okay, where is this? Okay, that's a building, you know. You know, when you do one of these things because you're, you're, you're blue arrows in wrong direction. You, gotta do, you know, I'm doing this. And I'm like, what's going on here? Like, I was literally like sweating. I was consumed and I was just getting a little bit tense and a little bit stressed. And sometimes I'm not even paying attention if they're behind me. So here I'm just walking and all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I don't hear anything. I look around, they're way back there. And so what it does is that because there's somebody, if you're with them, they're going to somehow bring you there. There's this incredible sense that if God is with you, it doesn't matter what you're facing, where you're going, but when God is with you, that's enough. You can trust. You don't have to worry about all the details. He's going he's gonna to worry about that. He's going to take care of that. But once again, when our identity is not strong, and this is where Satan wages the war, then we lose the perspective and it begins to shape our outlook and we make the wrong conclusions. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said in his book, My Utmost for His Highest. He says this, faith by its very nature must be tested and tried. This is a very important thought here. Just faith in general, it, it has to be tested and tried. Because you won't know it's faith unless it's tested. You won't know if you're strong unless you lift up a heavy weight. Are you with me? That's the kind of concept here. Faith by its nature, you're not going to really know if a person has faith unless it's tested and tried. And the real trial of faith is not that we find it difficult to trust God. And that's a good amen. But that God's character must be proven as trustworthy in our own minds. So if you kind of tie in with what I shared on Friday, that means his character in his goodness, his character in his greatness, in his character in his grace, in his character of being the God of glory, that in your minds you have to believe that it is trustworthy. Faith being worked out into reality must experience times of unbroken isolation. Faith, as the Bible teaches it, is faith in God coming against everything that contradicts him. A faith that says, I will remain true to God's character, whatever he may do. Can I ask you, do you have this kind of faith which fuels your outlook in life? Because you realize that you are loved and forgiven. You've been purchased by the blood of the lamb. And because of that, no matter what you're facing right now, you can have the confidence that he will always be true to his character. 
That's why, even though it's hard to believe now, this is where faith is tested and tried, is that you believe that he is good, and because he is good, he's going to work out all things for the good, for those who love him and those who have been called according to his purpose. That's why when you think about not only his goodness, but his greatness, you realize God is so much greater than anything else that I'm facing right now, greater than the pressure at work, greater than the situation with my family, greater than that relational conflict that I have with my roommate, whatever it may be, God, you are great. Your greatness eclipses all the things that I see with my human eyes. Lord, help me to have the eyes of faith. I'm wondering if that's you. Do you have this kind of outlook? Because you only can have it when you know your identity because it shapes that kind of outlook in your life. I want to continue on in verse 19 through 24. And uh just for the sake of time, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to summarize it for you. So this is the cliff notes of this passage. We're going to study it later so that you can dig deeper into this. But let me just try to summarize this so that you know what's going on. So after he hears from this angel that the Lord, I will be with you. We notice that Gideon goes into this house, his house, and he prepares an offering. And he brings this offering to the angel and the sacrifice as brought there, it is consumed. Fire comes down and it's burned. Then in verse 22, Gideon finally realizes that this was angel. This was an angel of God because the, not only the consuming fire, but the words that were spoken. So what did he do? He ended up building an altar. This is important. He ends up sacrificing. The fire comes down from heaven. He realizes, oh my God, I've been in the presence of God. And then he builds an altar. And now listen, what does he call this altar? He simply calls it the Lord of Peace. That's the name of the altar, the Lord of Peace. Now, those of you who know your Hebrew, you've heard this before, but the Lord of Peace, if you look at this, is Jehovah Shalom. That it's the Lord God Almighty. No one can contend with that God, the Jehovah. And it's shalom, which is peace. And peace is not just mm, peace. Peace, that word, when you study it, it means wholeness. And that means a wholeness of mind, wholeness of spirit. So barring any physical, neurological issues... Those of us who are struggling with whether it's depression or anxiety or all this other stuff. What you need is Jehovah Shalom. The God of peace. I'm not against medication. Because you need that to at least stabilize. So you can think straight. Get your mood in a certain level where it's neutralized. And then you have to start building habits so that you won't have to rely on certain things. Now, once again, I want to be very clear. I am not against medication. And we see this time and time again. Some people have to be on it because of physiological reasons, and I think that's fine. But I want to challenge some of you who have to do things because you have anxiety attack. A lot of it is connected with what you went through growing up as a kid. And I am not trying to say if you're anxious, you have a stronghold in your life. But I will challenge you to examine your life and the things that you've experienced. Did you have an alcoholic father? Did you have a father who was out of control? Did you have a father who was very moody? He, you, he would come home and you would not know if he's happy or he's sad. It produces anxiety in you. Did your father abuse you physically, verbally, or your mom? 
who physically, verbally abused you, who had high expectations of you. As a little kid, it's going to produce anxiety in your life. And as a little kid in your small little brain in that moment, you don't know how to process it. That's why I, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the musicians and comedians, they have a lot of stuff in their lives that they haven't dealt with. So they turn to music. That's how they get away from this world. That's why they turn to art, to get away from this world. So I'm just challenging some of us to stop brushing things away. Be honest with yourself. And this is my background. This is what I face. That's why I struggle with X, Y, and Z, whatever it may be. I'm not saying that it might be the only cause, but there's so many other things going on. If you've been bullied, there are a lot of things that will contribute to some of the struggles that you have in your life. And only the power of God can set you free from those things that you're struggling with. You've tried medication. You've tried all these other stuff, even meditation that might not even be Christ-based, but you tried everything, and you're still struggling with some of these things. And somehow you think it's going to get better, and I'm going to tell you right now, not necessarily. Until you begin to take some steps in breaking down and tearing down the strongholds in your life. So as he builds this altar, he calls it Jehovah Shalom. It's the peace that only Christ can give. Do you remember in John chapter 14, verse 27, it says, peace I leave with you. He's speaking to the disciples. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Listen to what the NIV says, or New Living Translation, NLT. And this is the part I want to highlight for us. Listen to what it says. I'm leaving you with what? Come on, everyone say it. It's a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is what? A gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. To have peace, the shalom, you cannot earn it. You cannot try to obtain it on your own. That's why it is a gift. Just like salvation, it is a gift. This is the reason why we need to Trust in God and depend on him as you know your identity. Then your outlook will begin to shape up and say, you know what? God is greater. God is good. And he's going to help me through this. How about us this morning? Have you forgotten who you are and what Christ has done in your life? Some of you are struggling with having this shalom, this peace. Your mind is all over the place. There's anxiety. There's fear. Because your identity is being placed on so many other things other than Christ, who is Jehovah Shalom. Our identity shapes our outlook. Let me close with this second point. Not only our identity must be shaped by our outlook or shapes our outlook, but the second point is this. Our identity shapes our obedience. Knowing who you are will shape your obedience to God. Judges chapter 6, verse 25 through 32. Just once again, just, I'm going to try to summarize as best as I can. Uh, some parts I'm going to read because I think it's important, but I'm going to try to summarize it so just to save time. One of the things you'll notice is after he builds this altar, calls it Jehovah Shalom. Later that evening, God speaks to Gideon and tells him to do something that literally might be, I'm guessing it was unthinkable and unimaginable. Do you know what that was? He tells Gideon, after this encounter with God, the Jehovah Shalom. He says, I want you to go 
to your father's altar, and I want you to break it down. Now, once again, if you don't know the whole story, it's not going to make sense. As I connected earlier to what I mentioned, the Israelites were where they were because they were disobedient and they were worshiping other gods. And the gods that they were worshiping in particular was the Baal god. And pretty much they were violating the the commandments that were given. You should have no other gods before me. And so in the midst of experiencing the presence of God and the Jehovah Shalom, later that evening, God appears to him and he says, I want you to go into your home and I want you to tear down, destroy completely these altars that are dedicated to worshiping the Baal God. It was unthinkable because it's, it's like almost like desecrating. You know how so many Asian families, they have like pictures of their ancestors. and It's like literally just getting rid of all of them. Then in verse 25 through 26, God tells Gideon, you got to destroy these bell altars and these things of worship that I do not desire. The things that your father built up, you got to knock it down. So clearly we see that this family, Gideon's family, were worshipers of this Baal God when they were the chosen people of God. That was their identity. And what you will notice is that God was giving Gideon a test of obedience. Can you listen to me carefully? This is important. There are times when God, in his sovereignty, will choose you to do something. And in the midst of that, what he wants to do is he wants to see if you will obey him. So what he does is that before you do something great or something significant, what he does is he puts something before you in terms of obedience. Will you obey me in this particular thing? Because if you do, then the things that I have planned for you, the doors are going to open. Let me put it this way. Some of you might be able to relate. Sometimes God wants you to obey him and not cheat. Don't cheat on that exam because you're lying and it dishonors God. But your grade is on the line. Your GPA is on the line. Your scholarship is on the line. But that's a test. God wants to know if you could pass this test, that you will not cheat on this exam because if you cheat on the exam, you're going to cheat in so many other areas in the future. So here you are thinking, I'm going to be used by God. I'm going to do great things for God. And God is simply saying, pass this test first. That's why in the same way, integrity is such an important part. It doesn't have to be cheating on an exam. You could be cheating on your taxes. You could be cheating on a lot of things where you, you feel like you try to be like, you're, I'm a generous person, but no, you're not. You haven't given. You, you, everything is about yourself. So God constantly puts these tests of obedience just to see if you will obey. And if you do, then doors begin to open. I don't know how many times in my own life, and sometimes through failures where I realize this, is that he gives me these little tests of obedience. 
And when I trusted him, knowing that it is something that God has spoken to me about, and I surrender, and I begin to submit myself to God, and I take that step of faith, even though it doesn't make sense, but I take that step of faith. It is amazing because as soon as I take that step, it is almost like I've been seeing black and white on this TV, and all of a sudden, everything is HD, color TV, and things make sense. And I was thinking to myself how often I would have missed this because I failed this test. Now, once again, it's not about works. These tests are given all throughout our lives so that we will continue to walk in this. So you might go in this direction, not in this direction. So what happens? There's going to be a test that will lead you to this direction. But then as you're going in this direction, then you decide, you know what? I'm going to go in that direction. So you go in this direction, but you're still not there. You're not beyond. And so what happens? So then he will bring something else. And you're like, okay, God. And you're going this way. And you're like, okay, Lord, I love you. And then that girl appears. And then you go over here. And then here you are. Are you there yet? No, you're not. So he's going to test you. He's going to see if you're going to obey him and follow him. And then if you do, then here you are. And this is the thing that he has for you. Beyond your imagination. That wasn't in my notes. I just got inspired right there. So think about this. Think about this. Some of you right now are in the midst of a test of obedience. Will you obey God because of your identity? Because I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God. I'm forgiven by God. I've been redeemed by God. I've been purchased by God. So because of that, God, I give you my life. And he's testing you. If you obey, then he's going to continue to lead you where he wants you to go. So what does he do? <laughs> when it's really dark, when no one's there, he actually goes and breaks it. So I want, I want to read verse 27. Listen to what it says. It says this. So Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town, to do it by day, he did it by night. Let me read it in SKV. So Gideon took all his roommates and his friends and tried to do what the Lord did, but he was too afraid to talk to his mom and dad about he wants to be a ballerina or a ballet dancer and not an engineer. And so he decided to go into town. Do you guys, are you guys reading the SKV? And uh, he decided to go with other people and did it at night. Do you know how scary this was for him in a family-oriented culture? In many senses, very similar to Asian culture or some of the other cultures outside of the United States. So that's very family-oriented. Africa, you know, many, Middle East, everywhere in the world except for America, we have problems. We're protesting about everything. As if some kind of right that we have. We have no rights. I mean, my goodness. God is the creator, author of life. But when you look at problems, it's because we think we're the creator and we are the God and the center of our universe. We're not. That's where a lot of the problems come. To think this altar that has been built by the Father to worship the Baal God in disobedience to God of the universe, Jehovah Shalom, for then Gideon, the son who is the weakest, he says, and of the least amongst the family to come in obedience to God 
and he actually tears down the altar and the, where the idol is being worshipped. Can you imagine how scary that must have been for him? And I want to challenge us this morning because I think this is so important. I want to ask you, what are some of your idols and altars from your home? A lot of us don't think about this. And that's the reason why some of you are where you are because you are worshiping all these idols and your parents are worshiping all these idols and you're worshiping your parents. And this is the reason why you're struggling over and over again because you forgot your identity, which shapes our outlook and your identity that begins to shape your obedience because now you are a child of God. What are the idols on the altar? What are the altars in your family? It will be the altar of success. That's what has been preached to you over and over again. That's why some of you struggle with possibility of not being successful. Some of you are worshiping the altar of wealth and money and abundance. Why? Because your whole life you were born poor. You struggled. And your parents constantly reminded you it is not good to have less money. So, and so you better work hard. You better study hard. You better get into a good university. That is the altar that you are worshiping this God. No wonder your grace consume you. And as soon as you get a B, you freak out as if it's the end of the world. Can I just say, come on, come on, city people. Is it the end of the world? Can I get a good amen? Or is it no? Okay. Some of them are still trying to figure it out, okay? It's not the end of the world. But for you it is because that is the altar that you worship. What if I don't have enough money? What if I'm not able to, you know, have this or that? Some of you worship the altar of comfort. Your parents have drilled inside of you this altar of saying you got to be comfortable. You shouldn't struggle. Well, all I know is sometimes comfort, it dulls your senses and it puts your heart further away from God. The people who love God and worship God are the people who are in some of these war-torn countries who are going through persecution. Their love for Jesus is so pure that it should humble all of us. Some of you worship the God of safety. That's why I find it ironic. Some of those people who are constantly washing their hair, there's nothing wrong with washing hair. There's nothing wrong with masks. There's nothing wrong with suits. I've seen people with suits, you know, hazmat suits, walking around, and I'm like, oh my God, what's going on? And then later on, in front, they're the ones who got COVID. Pastor, I think you should wash your hands. Just relax. I will. I will. Just. Here I am. I'm not trying to excuse bad behavior and bad hygiene, but what I'm trying to say is your altar that's on your family's house is this altar of safety. And I'm telling you right now, you have no control over your life. You could be walking and crossing the street and somebody not paying attention, they could run you over. You think you're so slim and slick that when the door is closing, you try to go in and you could die. You are not in control of your life. You are not the author of life. You're not the giver of life. You're not the sustainer of life. 
It's God. And therefore, when you worship this God of safety, and you're so afraid, oh my God, I'm going to get this disease, or oh my God, everything is unclean, and unclean, unclean. I'm going to tell you right now, that your life, if it's all about safety, you will never, never do something where you will lay down your life and die for something you believe in. This is the reason why some of the pre-Christians around the world, they were amazed at the people who were willing to stick around, especially in Africa when there was Ebola. Everybody left different parts of Africa because the Ebola virus was spreading. But you know who stayed? It was the Christians who knew that if they died, that they will spend the rest of eternity with God. But some of these people did not know Jesus Christ because out of the great compassion and love of God, they're willing to go to some of these places where everyone ran away from. It's like that burning building that everyone runs out of, but it's that person who will run into the fire to rescue the dog. I don't know. That's the Christian life. It's not about safety. It's about loving God, obeying God. That might mean you could go to some of the hardest places in the world to share the gospel. Will you die? You possibly. You may get shot. You may get persecuted, tortured. But do you love Jesus enough knowing your identity as he's already shaping your outlook of life? It's like totally different because it's about eternity. And it fuels your heart in obedience to him because you're saying, God, here is my life. It's all yours. If I perish, I perish. For me to live is Christ and to die is the gain. This is why the world is not being transformed because we have so many Christians who are worshiping these different idols and gods on these altars. And until we tear them down, until God convicts us and we are awakened and then in our spirits, God fuels us to obey, to say, God, I'm going to break this. I will no longer allow this stronghold in my life to pull me down from the things that you have for me. I want to obey you. I want to follow you until we get to that point in our lives. We're just going to go through every single day waking up, go through our lives, and we're going to go back to sleep. We're going to repeat this over and over again, and you're going to wonder to yourself, what is my purpose in life? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Because you have forgotten the essence. It's about your relationship with Jesus Christ, and it's about obedience to his word, and it says to go and make disciples of all nations, and I'm willing to lay down everything for that cause. This is what causes people to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Are you willing to break it down? I had to wrestle with this. I, you guys know my story. I was the oldest son in a Korean family. I'm supposed to take care of my parents. We were, we were living really well in Korea. My dad was a pharmacist. My mom was just a housewife and domestic engineer. And I just remember we had maids running around. We had a laundry machine in the 70s. It was just like brand new. We had a lot of stuff. I was just playing takji or the flipping game. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff, eating all these like silkworms and, you know, fun stuff. In Korean, it's like, it's really good. Not really, but anyway. Uh, and so my parents moved to America. You know why? Because American dream. They gave all this up for us so that we can live the American dream. Then I became a pastor and it was a nightmare. 
that altar of the American dream and success had to be shattered. And that's why it was the hardest decision of my life to say, Mom, Dad, I don't think I'm going to be able to take care of you. I will still love you. I will do my best. But God is calling me to go in this direction. And it was probably one of the hardest. In fact, I, some of you know, my dad didn't talk to me for months, four to six months. He didn't even talk to me. He didn't want to talk to me because I've disappointed him. See, but God tests me. He was testing me in my obedience in other areas to the point where he then put this before me. And I said, will I love God? Will I obey God because of who I am and knowing whose I am? Am I going to love him? Am I going to obey him? And when I made that decision, it literally changed our lives and changed my life and it changed our family's life. Now, every time I'm, I'm able to, not as much, but when I'm able to go back to Chicago, just spending time with my parents is so different from what it was. It's closer, it's tighter. We're talking about ministry. We're talking about other stuff that I could never have imagined we'll be talking about because my dad was not a believer, but through this whole process, he came to know Jesus Christ. Some of you are like, oh, I want my parents to know Jesus Christ. Do you really? Are you willing to lay down your life? He tests, he's testing you in areas of obedience. And then in verse 30, 28 through 32, there was a strong opposition the next morning. Like I said, I'm not going to have time to read it, but literally what happens is the whole town came in. So where's that Gideon? Because he literally broke down these idols and this altar that was dedicated to the Baal gods, and they were upset. Just like every single drug dealer, drug cartel, every single trafficking person, I'm telling you right now, as soon as you cut the means of money and their greed and all that, I'm telling you, they will come and get you. That's why your parents get upset when you break that altar of success, break that altar of comfort, break that altar of money, whatever it is, they will get upset. Same with other people around you, your friends, they will get upset. They wanted to kill Gideon. They were furious. But his father had enough wisdom, diffused the situation, challenging everyone to see if this Baal God is really the God. If he is, then Gideon will give in. And then Gideon was called Jerubal, which means let, God, let Baal contend or let Baal defend himself. Because what he did was he said, if Baal is such a great God, let him do something. Because Gideon knew that God was greater. That's why the one thing, as I mentioned, is that as God's purposes starts to unfold, he will start to tear down our stronghold. Can I just give us three things to think about this coming week? And as we're going to do some stuff this coming week with uh, worksheets to help you to reflect, to be honest with some of the areas of stronghold in your life. We're going to have some ministry time, a prayer. I'm, I'm asking God, Lord, do something powerful this coming week in life group. I mean, some of you are going to have to wrestle. God's going to be constantly prompting you. Are, are you going to obey? This is a test. Are you going to obey me? That's why we're going to get back to our identity, who we are in Jesus Christ. The first thing is this. The first thing that I want you to do as you think about this coming week is center your focus on the cross. Because right now, everything around you, you're going to start looking at this. You're going to see your parents, your friends, that person you're in a relationship. All these things are going to speak to you. And that's why you got to center your focus on the cross. Why the cross? Because it is at the cross where you get your identity. 
It is at the cross where you realize how sinful you are, but no longer because God has made you righteous. That is at the cross when you realize when you have sinned and you are unworthy of even doing anything for God, you see the blood that was shed and you realize that he has forgiven you. And he's the one who makes you worthy. It's the cross when you begin to see just holiness. When an innocent man did nothing wrong, that he was crucified. And here we are, guilty as charged because we have sinned against the holy God, but he took our place. That's going to cause your heart to be grateful. So this coming week, there might be little battles you're going to have to fight. But center your focus on the cross and what that means to you. Get your identity from that so that it could shape your outlook and it could shape your obedience to God. The second thing is this, is confront your idols. This is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. Some of you might have to let go of some things. Some of you will have to literally tear it down and say, no more. I'm going to stop. Some of you might have to break up. Some of you might have to disobey your parents because you have to obey God. Some of you might have to do something that's very uncomfortable. I don't know what it is for you, but God does. And he's trying to speak to you. That's why we have the Holy Spirit, the Jehovah Shalom, who is our peace. And so as we're confronting these idols, it's going to be scary. What am I going to do? What will my life look like? I've always lived with this, or I always thought this, or I always depended on this. But the Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, will be with you as you learn to let go. So confront your idols. You're not going to be able to do it by yourself. That's why this coming week, we're going to help you with these worksheets. We're going to help you with prayer, these people who love you in life group. You could do it in your LCG even if you don't have time to do that in the life group. But we're just praying that this coming week, we can confront those idols, surrender our lives to Him. And lastly, one of the things I would really want to focus our attention to is just commit to pleasing God. Why is this important? Don't raise your hand, but you guys know when you love somebody, you want to do everything possible to please them. Can I get a good amen to that? You know that. When you love somebody and you realize how much they love you, you want to do everything to please them. So make that commitment this coming week to say, God, when I think about the cross, when I think about all that you've done, when I think about my identity, who you have made me to be, and all the stuff that I've been like playing in this mud, and that's not what you want me to do. You want, you want to cleanse me. You want to pull me out of that miry pit and you want to bring me into your presence. Help me to obey you so I can please you. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that there will be a, a breakthrough as we tear down some of these strongholds and altars in our lives. Let's not forget it's God who has to do it. He'll initiate it, and then you have to do your part in obedience, and then through that, your outlook is going to be so different because you realize, wow, this is the life I've always wanted. This is what I wanted to do for the, all of my life, to live in this joy, this contentment, trusting, believing. And even in the midst of that, greater things. Maybe God will use you in a way like never before to change the world. I pray that that will be the case. Can we just stand together as we close out here?
Can I ask us with every head bowed at this moment, every eyes closed? I don't know how you took in the message. Maybe there's one thing, or maybe there were just a couple things that stuck out for you. Maybe some of you have doubts. Some of you have questions. And I hope that you can talk to your life group leaders or your mentors or maybe your LCG, whoever it may be, your discipler. Pastor Bo and I will be here if you want to come up and talk and receive some prayer. But I do hope that God did speak to you individually with something. And more particularly, there are some things in your life that you just know that's not right with God. Like all throughout the sermon, he's been pinpointing. He's been almost like putting this little pin, pricking your heart, just kind of saying, I want you to listen. This is my spirit. What I'm going to ask you to do at this moment, with every head bowed, every eyes closed, is that if you know that there is some kind of altar or some kind of idol in your life, that you know that you need God's power and His strength to help you to tear down and to obey God, if you know that that is you, what I'm going to encourage you to do at this moment on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise up your hands and put it straight down. It's not that I'm going to be able to see every single one of you, but this is what I, I, I want you to understand. What God looks for is obedience. And sometimes it starts with a desire. But when we try to follow it and obey, we just know that we can't do it on ourselves or by ourselves, our own strength, our own holiness, our own spirituality. We can't. That has to be the work of God. So what you're doing is that even though God knows already what's in your heart, what you're thinking, by you lifting up your hands, what you're doing is you're letting Satan know, I'm going to tear this altar down. I'm tired of you pestering me for all these years. I'm tired of being in a stronghold and struggling with the same thing over and over again that you had, you had a field day with me. Because Satan cannot read your mind. He's not God. He's not omniscient. So by you raising your hand, you're letting Satan know that there's this idol in my life that you have used and I'm going to trust in God that he will be the one who will break it down. And there will be the power of that confession and that admission to say, God, there are idols. There are things I cannot let go, but I want to. So here's my hand lifted up to say, God, help me. And then you're letting signaling to Satan, we're going to hold our ground. We're going to take back the territory that Jesus Christ has purchased for me. I'm just wondering if you make this bold move that there will be curses, there will be things broken off your family. There will be a release of the work of the Holy Spirit. How awesome would it be if through this, maybe God will bring healing. God will bring restoration. God will bring salvation. How awesome would that be? Because there was this stronghold, this altar that has been propped against the knowledge of God and you're breaking it in faith. And because of that, all the dominoes are falling. Jenga big time. That one little block, you pull out and everything falls down. Huh. 
I don't know why I got, I got that picture. That's what I'm seeing for some of you. It's the Jenga. And you knock down that one block and everything will collapse. It looks like it's so strong and standing there. But obey God. Break that altar. Pull out that peace. I'm telling you right now, maybe some of the curses, some of the generational sins, stuff that has happened in your family, the things that have happened in your life that's caused all this negativity and some of your struggles, I'm wondering if they will be broken in Jesus' name. So I'm going to ask us right now, in the count of three, those of us who are saying there is an idol, there's an altar that I see in my home that has been passed down from generation to generation, and I'm just saying, God, I see it, and I want you to knock it down. Help me by your grace, and I want to do it by obedience to you. If that's you right now, on the count of three, I want every single person to lift up their hands, and you could just put it right down. If God, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, just slip up your hand quickly and then put it down. On the count of three, are you ready? And we're going to let Satan know that there's going to be some altars that are going to be broken this coming week, and even right now, today. Oh, Holy Spirit. Come on, on the count of three. One, two, three. Just go ahead, all over this room. Yes, just you can put it down. Just lift up your hands and put it down. Thank you, Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, with these hands that were lifted up, we pray, Lord, that you will honor the step of obedience, the step of faith, because we cannot break these altars on our own. We don't have the strength. We don't have the power. Sometimes we don't even have the desire to. But, Lord, you're more than able, and you're going to be able to do it because we're going to trust in you. And, God, I pray for a release of your work your freedom that will come forth in all of our lives, Lord. I pray any curses, anything that has been put against us, any works of the evil one, any weapons formed against us, we're praying, Lord Jesus, we're praying, God, that those things will be broken right now in the name of Jesus. Just release the shalom, the the Jehovah shalom. I pray that the peace, the wholeness in our mind, the wholeness in, in, in our hearts, the wholeness, Lord God, with the anxiety, with the different worries, different things in our lives. We pray that those things, Lord God, will be broken down right now in Jesus' name. Come, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord. This is where faith has to come in. This is where we got to believe that God is going to do immeasurably more than whatever we ask or even what we think. I'm going to ask us to close before we just sing this one song. Can we just pray for our church? I don't know about you, but I've, I've been feeling just a lot of heaviness. I've been feeling just a lot of opposition. Let's just pray that in this spiritual warfare, as we talked about, that we're going to face some hardships, some opposition from Satan, that prayers are powerful and effective. Do you guys believe that? Can I get a good amen if you believe that? So let's unite together as a church, and let's just pray for this coming week. As strongholds are going to be broken off, altars are going to be shattered, we need the Holy Spirit's protection. Let's pray for protection. Pray for me, pray for Pastor Bo, the leaders, 
Let's just pray that just all over in our church, every single member, that there will be a, a, just an anointing and we'll live in this freedom. Come on, just for about a minute. Can we just lift our voices? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.